One of the key things that we need to do to be successful in our lives is determine what takes hold of us and what we take hold of in our lives. Today, we're looking at another key principle to sow to the Spirit. This message is the 12th in the series, Take Hold of True Greatness. The message is entitled, Keep the Right Perspective. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. We're gonna continue our series today. Next weekend, I'm gonna wrap up the series. We've been talking about this whole concept of what it means to take hold and how God calls us to take hold of certain things in life, to get them in our hands, to get a grip on them, because what you take hold of, the priorities of your life, will really shape what you become as a person and where your life ends up your destiny. It's very important to realize that every day of your life, you're taking hold of certain things. You're putting things within your grip. You're making choices about your priorities. And the Bible teaches us that we ought, to be, uh, we, ought, we ought to be careful, conscientious about the choices that we make, the decisions we make regarding the priorities of life, what you and I take hold of, what we allow to take hold of us. Part of that involves learning the principles of God's Word, one of those principles being the principle of sowing and reaping, that if you're going to experience God's life in the fullness, you have to learn how to make sure that you're taking hold of the right seed and planting them in the right places with your life, because what you sow is what you reap, and so it's a part of that journey. Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. We've been focusing on this for the last couple of weekends. I'm going to take it again for the next two weekends and really dig into this and see its application to us specifically along the lines of perspective today. Do not be deceived. This is verse 7. God is not mocked, for whatever man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So Paul says, you've got two choices in terms of how you sow your life. You sow to the flesh, that is pleasing your sinful nature, doing what your sinful nature wants to do, or sowing to the Spirit, that's doing what the Spirit of God wants you to do. And they're in results of this. If you sow to the flesh of the flesh, you will reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit of the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary. Look at verse number 9. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul is talking again about this concept of sowing and reaping, but along with it, he's reminding us of the process of sowing and reaping, not just doing it, but how there needs to be an ongoing commitment to it. We talked last week about not quitting don't give up. Continue to sow because in the continual sowing of good seed is where the harvest comes. And so we have to choose to not be quitters. We have to continue the process of sowing good seed. But there's also another thing I want you to see here. Paul talks to us about perspective, not just continuation, but perspective. Do not grow weary in doing good. Here's the right perspective. For in due season, you will reap if you do not give up. He says, I want you to understand there's a reason why you should never stop sowing good seed. And the reason has to do with your perspective. Understand this, that if you will continue to sow good seed, here is the promise, you will reap a wonderful harvest if you do not give up. That is, you've got this ongoing process in your life, and the perspective needs to be that one day the harvest is going to come. If I plant enough of the right seed and the right soil, I know that God will bring about a harvest. It's about your perspective on life. And every person here has your own unique perspective. What is a perspective? A perspective is the way you view life. It's the way you frame your world. 
Think about a camera and a camera lens. When you look through the viewfinder of a camera lens, you will frame a shot. You will see certain things. You will include certain things in the picture and exclude certain things from the frame. It will become your perspective, and your photograph will reflect the perspective you had in the viewfinder. And the same is true in your life, that you and I live a life out of a viewfinder that has been affected by a number of different things. First of all, your perspective in life is affected by your personality. Everybody has one. You have a personality, and your personality is different from other folks. They're kind of general categories of personalities. There are the introverts and the extroverts, and of course, whether you're an introvert or extrovert determines how you view people and how you view the world around you, and there are all other kinds of elements of your own personality, but everybody has a personality in a certain way that you process life, and I will tell you that you're also, your perspective is also being affected by the experiences of your life. What has happened to you? What has happened around you? It shapes you. It causes you to look at people a certain way and look at the world a certain way, and oftentimes, sadly, our perspective perspective has been twisted or distorted, and our viewfinder has been focused on things it does not need to be focused on, and because of that, we're making choices in our life out of a bad perspective, and God wants to adjust your perspective. He wants to make sure you're viewing the world the right way, viewing the world His way, and part of that involves what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season at the right time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. He's talking again about perspective. Let me say one more thing about perspective before I tell you how to begin to adjust your perspective. God is for you. The Bible is very clear that God is for us. He's not against you. Isn't that great to know? So God's on your side. God is pulling for you. He's for you. He's not against you. But while God is for you, listen closely, He doesn't do everything for you. God is for you, but He doesn't do everything for you. He says, I'm for you, and I'm giving you resources for your life, but you have to be a worker together with me. You have to cooperate with the process. You have to be involved in this thing as well. I want you to actively engage with me, God says, to work together in your life so that I can accomplish what I want to accomplish, but you've got to be a part of this. You have to take responsibility in your own life. So there's certain things that God will not do for you. And one of those things that God will not do for you is that God will not adjust your perspective for you. He will show you what your perspective needs to be, but you have to make the choice to adjust your own perspective. There's an engagement that you have to be involved in. There's something that you do while God will help you. Thank God for that because His power helps us to adjust our perspective. But as we learn truth and we adjust our lives to truth, the truth is what sets us free. But if you're not interested in truth, if you're not looking for truth, if you're not studying the truth of God's Word, you'll never get the perspective that you need. And so it's not just something God does for you. We have to do it together with God. So today I want to talk to you about your part in the process of making sure your viewfinder is where it needs to be in life, that you're looking at life God's way and what kind of adjustments that you need to make in the perspective of your life. I'm going to share with you six actions that you can take. I'll share six with you this weekend and six more next weekend uh, for a total of 12 actions that you can take that begin to adjust the viewfinder of your life so that your perspective is what it needs to be. The first thing that you must do is believe that right will be rewarded. That's a perspective that you and I need to have. We must believe down in the core of our being that right, righteousness, will always be rewarded. Let me show you how subtle this is. Has there been a time in your life where you've watched uh, what seemed to be wrong go unpunished? 
Has there ever been a time? Come on, shake your head. That something that was done wrong, it seemed to go unpunished, right? And has there ever been a time that you've seen something right seemingly go unrewarded? Correct, huh? There are times you've seen things that were wrong that why wasn't that punished? Why wasn't justice brought to that situation? Why did it not happen? And then you, on the other side, well, that right was done. And why, why was that right rewarded? And so oftentimes in life, we, we have to deal with this mixture of things that transpire, wrongs that seem to go unpunished and rights that seem to go unrewarded. And so suddenly what can happen inside of us is a bit of bitterness and sort of frustration in our soul that we carry around with us. And we start suddenly wondering, I wonder if right really is rewarded. Is it really rewarded? And that little bit of perspective adjustment inside of you can warp the way you deal with your life, the way you deal with your relationships. And so I want to bring you back to the place of what the Bible says today regarding righteousness and the reward of righteousness. And I want you to know down in the core of your being that God promises that He will punish wrong and He will reward right. That may not happen at the time that we want it to happen or the framework in which we have for it, but you've got to believe if you're going to serve God down in the core of your being that wrong will be punished and right, right will be rewarded. God is a rewarding God. He rewards righteousness. Hebrews 11, verse 6. And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. God says, if you want a relationship with me, of course, you've got to believe that I am. I can't have a relationship with you if you don't believe that I am. And so you've got to believe that I exist and that he rewards those who, what does it say, earnestly seek him, seeks him. Circle the phrase there, he rewards, he rewards. Who rewards? God rewards those who earnestly seek him. Believe that God rewards good. Listen to Paul's words as he comes to the conclusion of his life. Now, would you agree with me if you studied anything about the New Testament that the Apostle Paul went through some hard stuff, didn't he? Was he ever mistreated? Did people treat him the wrong way? Was he ever the victim of injustice? Oh, my, Paul was the victim of injustice many, many times. Paul was, was ostracized and imprisoned, incarcerated for his faith. He didn't do anything wrong, but he ended up suffering for it many, many times. And so it would seem as though Paul could have easily been bitter about the injustices that he experienced in his life. But Paul chose to look at life from a broader perspective, from a perspective that it was godly. And listen to his words as he's coming to the end of his life. He writes to Timothy and says, now, he says, he's talking about his death. He says, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will, what's the word? there award circle on your notes award or reward he will award to me on that day and not only to me but also to all who have longed for his appearing Paul says you know what I've suffered a lot of stuff in life but one thing I know for good it pays to do right because God has a crown of righteousness laid up for me and I know that he's going to give it to me one day and not just me but anyone who longs for his appearing the psalmist David in Psalm 37, verse 25, one of my favorite verses in all of the book of Psalms, certainly uh, a favorite, I hope, for many of you. If you've never learned it, I hope you'll get it into your heart today. David makes a statement, I was young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Isn't that beautiful? David said, I've lived a long time now. I remember how I served God when I was young, and I'm now serving God when I'm older. 
And I realized something. All through those years of my serving God, I've watched something. I've watched that God always takes care of righteous people. That God always takes care of people who do right. That the righteous are never forsaken. And not God not only takes care of the righteous, but he takes care of the righteous kids. The kids of the righteous. He promises that they're not going to be out begging for bread. Now, that alone should cause you, motivate you to say, I want to live a righteous life. Why? Because right living is noticed by God and right living is, is noted by God. He rewards the righteous. So believe down in the core of your being and don't let anything steal it from you. Believe and know that, that right will always be rewarded. The second thing, second perspective adjustment, believe that patience always pays. Most of us are not geared toward patience. We're geared toward impatience. And in our world today, that impatience is fueled by the atmosphere around us. I read not too long ago that when you and I go to a web page on the Internet, if that web page doesn't load in less than four seconds, you will click to another page. Four seconds. I mean, I think I'm two. How about you? Okay. I'm not sure I'm four. Okay. But there's this orientation in life that we want everything and we want it at the tip of our fingers. We want it now. We don't want to wait for anything. And so we are driven by this impatience of having to have stuff in the moment. It causes people to make all kind of bad decisions with their life. A lot of people that get into major debt with life because they can't wait, can't save up their money for something, have to have it now. All kinds of things that happen to us because of impatience. But I want you to realize that real success, any kind of lasting success, requires patience. Enduring success requires patience. You might have quick success, but quick success is not going to be long-term success until you learn something about patiently handling it the right way. You've seen, perhaps all seen, stories of people who won the lottery, and they win millions of dollars, and then you go back two years later, and they have nothing. Well, what happened to all that money? Well, well I spent it. Why did you spend it? I don't know. Why did you spend it? I don't know. Well, that was your problem. You didn't know, okay? The problem was they didn't know how to manage success long-term. They didn't understand patience as a part of the process. And we must understand that patience is something that God builds into you, not because he wants to make you miserable, but because patience is what brings about long-term success, okay? Patience is key to your success. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 8. The end of something is better than its beginning. It is better to be, oh, come on, help me out here. It is better to be patient than arrogant. In fact, the Bible is even indicating there that our impatience oftentimes is an expression of our arrogance, our pride operating so patience pays. Psalm 37, verses 7 through 11, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him. To act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Don't lose your temper. It only leads to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. Soon the wicked will disappear. Though you look for them, they will be gone. The lowly, the lowly speaking of the humble, the patient, will possess the land and will live in peace and prosperity. Listen closely. I will tell you something today that is a secret to life. Patient people end up possessing things that the impatient never possess. Patient people end up possessing a good marriage. Patient, patient people end up possessing 
character in their lives. They, begin, they possess things that impatient people never get. Here the Bible says in verse 11, the lowly, the patient, the humble will possess the land and live in peace and prosperity. The third thing that you must do regarding your perspective, to have the right perspective. What are we doing today? We're adjusting our viewfinder, aren't we? We're making sure we're looking at life the right way, believing that right always pays. We're believing that patience always pays. The third thing is you have to choose praise over pouting, that you make a decision in your life. As you look through the world, at the world through your lens finder, your lens viewer, you're going to choose to praise God instead of pouting about life. The word pout, interesting word, it literally means to push out the lips. That's what it means. Okay? You all want to practice? Okay? <laughs> Some of you had practice already this week, right? It indicates something. When you push your lips out, that physical expression of pushing your lips out, it's indicating something on the inside. It's indicating annoyance. It's indicating displeasure. It's indicating sometimes anger. It's indicating disappointment. There are all kind of reasons for the pushing out, the pouting of the lips. But it's not the lips that's the problem. It's what's going on inside that's the problem. And your pouting is an expression of an attitude on the inside, a perspective of life that you're carrying with you. So God wants to take the pouting out of your life. Now, if you're a parent, you understand how ugly pouting, pouting can be with kids. But I will tell you something. It doesn't just happen to five-year-olds. Sometimes it happens to 55-year-olds. You can pout at any age. You can be mad at God and pout at him because he hasn't done for you what you felt like you wanted him to do for you, what you asked him to do for you. You can pout at him because you've had some disappointment in life. You can pout in your relationships because you not, are not getting what you think you deserve. Pouting happens for lots of different reasons, but I will tell you something. You know it. Pouting is ugly. Go home this afternoon and pout in front of a mirror, okay, and take a look at what, that, what, that, what, what you're communicating when you do that. It's, it's ugly. It's not pleasant. It's not pleasant to be around a pouting person, but it's very pleasant to be around a praising person. Amen? And you have to choose when you look through the viewfinder of life to say, okay, am I going to pout about what I'm seeing or am I going to praise about what I'm seeing? Am I going to have this, what orientation will I have? Now, Jesus came to do lots of things for you and me. I don't have time today to talk about all the things that Jesus Christ came to do for you, obviously to save you from your sins, to give you eternal life. But I will tell you something else perhaps you've never thought about before. Jesus came to deliver you from pouting and to put praise in your spirit. If you don't believe that, listen to Isaiah's prophecy about the Lord. And in fact, it's descriptive of the Lord's ministry because even Jesus himself, when he started his earthly ministry, as you see in Luke chapter 4, went to the synagogue in Nazareth and he quoted from this particular passage describing his own ministry, describing what he came to do for people. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Jesus is saying this because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for for the captives, the release from darkness to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise. The Bible says, Jesus said, I came to give you some new clothes. I came to give you a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. One translation says a garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for a display of his splendor. And so as you look at the world, 
what will you do? What will be your orientation? Will you pout your way through life or will you praise your way through life? And praise, obviously, is the right decision. Number four, to have the right perspective in life, you have to process problems and, and pain prayerfully and positively. Process your problems and process your pain prayerfully and positively. I like to remind us of this because a lot of Christians stumble on this point. And there's some bad doctrine that goes around from time to time that, uh, that we need to be aware of. The Bible teaches us that just because we're Christians, it doesn't mean that we, we have an insurance policy against problems and pain, okay? If you're a believer, you still are living in a broken world. In a broken world, you're going to experience problems. You're going to have some pain in your life. It's just real. And so if you try to deny the existence of problems and pain, you're missing a part of what the world is all about. You're going to experience that throughout your life. All of us do in different measures, in different ways. We have problems and pain. But here's the thing. You don't have to let them eat you up. You don't have to let them destroy you. You don't have to ingest them and digest them. There is a way, when you and I know Jesus Christ, there's a way for us to deal with our problems and deal with our pain. And the Bible tells us the way to deal with it is prayerfully and positively. Let me break this apart for you. Let's go to the positively just for a moment. You know, when you have a problem in your life, whatever it might look like or some pain in your life, you can immediately go to the negative, and the negative says, look at this horrible problem I have. Why does it always happen to me? This is terrible. This, this is absolutely the worst thing that could happen. And your mind can go with a scenario of how terrible things are for you and how big this problem is in your life and how nobody else ever suffers like you suffer. And before long, your mind is running down that track. Anybody ever taken that trip before, okay? Don't raise your hand, okay? You just down the track of how terrible things are for you, how bad things are for you. And what happens is you lose perspective, don't you, okay? When you start running down that track, you don't have a perspective any, any longer of the fact that, well, your problems are very similar to what other people have. And, and in the reference of the bigger world, that's called a first world problem, okay? Compared to what some folks are experiencing in third world atmospheres, our problems don't even compare sometimes to what they're going through in life. And so, but we lose that perspective because we shift over here to the negative. And the enemy, the devil, loves to get you in the negative because then from the negative, he's able to plant seeds of bitterness and anger toward God in you and frustration with people and all kinds of things that happen as a part of that. But here's what I want you to do. As you're going through problems and pain, and many of you have them right now, in fact, I would venture to say everybody here has at least one problem. If you don't have one, come see me. I'll share one of mine with you, okay? <laughs> but everybody has a problem today. And so you have to make the shift in your life. Will I go down the negative path or will I shift over to the positive path? And God says what you need to do is shift to the positive. Here's the positive. It's remembering that God can take the problems and pain in your life and turn them into something powerful for you. He can help form your character through them. He can help. Do, he will do miracles through them. I've been, you know, you'll never have a miracle without a problem. Right? You know what a miracle is? God's supernatural intervention and a problem. Okay? So to get a miracle, what do you have to have first? A problem. So if you've got a problem this morning, praise God. You're a candidate for a miracle. Okay? You see the difference? Okay? It's just all in a matter of your perspective. It's how you're viewing things in life. And so God says, shift over from the 
negative over to the positive and process this thing that's going on in you, this pain, this problem. Process it the right way. Process it with prayer. Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. What is that? those two verses all about? It's about learning how to pray your way and sometimes cry your way through your problems until you've given them to God and know that on the other side of your tears will be joy. Been many times that I've had to get on my face before God in the midst of a problem, and I've cried my way through it and prayed my way through it and come out on the other side saying, God, I'm trusting you with this. And I will tell you that although the, the sorrow may endure for a night, the Bible says joy comes in the morning. There's a morning for you, and that's M-O-R-N-I-N-G, that kind of morning, a new day that dawns upon your life. So when you're, when you're praying and you're shedding some tears, don't just shed the tears and stay in the negative. Pray through to the point of joy. Notice what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, 6, and 7. You've heard this before. Listen closely. Let this sink into your perspective this morning. Let it renew your mind this morning. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Notice the juxtaposition of anything, everything. Don't worry about anything juxtaposition what pray about everything those two things have to go together okay don't worry about if you're worrying the implication is you're not praying okay if you're praying you're not going to be worrying you see that they're 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 working together okay they have there's a correlation between those two don't worry about anything instead pray about everything tell God your needs and don't forget to thank him for his answers if you do this if you do what If you pray and thank God, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts, that is your perspective, and your hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. You process your problems and pain positively and prayerfully. Number five, the fifth way to adjust to make sure your perspective is right is keep your eyes off of others. How about a little amen right there? I'm going to show you why this is important. When you put your eyes on somebody else and you start comparing your life with their life, it's always, always a loser's game. You can't win that way. There's no way to win when you compare yourself with someone else. First of all, you don't know their life anyway. So whatever comparison you're making, you're making a superficial comparison because you're viewing it from the outside. You don't know really what's going on with them. There, there, there are all kinds of stories of people that others thought were having an amazing life, but on the inside they were miserable, and, and people were, were adoring them and idolizing them, but they were breaking apart on the inside. Their outside looked really good, but inside was not so good. A lot of celebrities live life that way. But you have to come to the place of realizing, you know what, I don't really know what's going on with other people, and so if I compare myself with them, I, I, I'm not even, I don't even know the truth about what's going on there. So that's, that's a losing game in that regard. But let me show you something else. When you compare yourself with others, there are three things that will inevitably happen, okay? And sometimes all three of these can happen. Number one, it fuels envy and jealousy inside of you. Because if you notice that generally speaking, you compare yourself with people that have it better than you, Right? You don't usually find someone that's doing worse with, than you are and say, I wish I had their life. No, okay? You find someone that has more than you do, and you say, why don't I have what they have, okay? 
I deserve that. I, this is, you know, I'm as good as they are, whatever it might be. You begin that comparison process, which produces jealousy on the inside. The Bible says that jealousy will, will, will rot your bones, okay? It rots you, brings rottenness on the inside. All kind of horrible things, crimes have been committed out of jealousy, things that happen in people, envy, and, and that kind of green-eyed monster we talk about that gets a hold of us on the inside. So the first reason you don't want to compare is because all it's going to do is fuel jealousy, envy inside of you. second thing it's going to fuel in you is insecurity. And all of us are already prone to that anyway, aren't we? Okay? Most of us here struggle with that little voice of insecurity that hangs around with us all the time. And at any moment when something puts us in a place where we're a little less than someone else, oh, look, you're not good enough. You're not worthy. They're better than you. And all those kind of voices begin to echo inside your head. And so when you start comparing yourself with somebody else, insecurity is going to be fed, envy, insecurity. And if you're not the victim of envy or insecurity, you will become the victim of the next thing, and that's pride. Because at some point, you'll find someone that you are better than. You'll say, huh, look at me. At least I'm better than them. And so comparing yourself with other people is a bad perspective to have because you've got enough to worry about in your own life. Amen? You don't need to be worrying yourself about somebody else's stuff. You need to be paying attention, and I need to be paying attention to the stuff that's in my life. Galatians 6, 4. Read it with me. Let's all read together, all campuses. Here we go. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. What keeps you from needing to compare yourself with anyone else? Paying careful attention to your own stuff, okay? If you pay careful attention to your own work, then you're not going to have time or energy to be focusing on anyone else. Now, I'm going to take us to the last point to wrap up today. The last way to adjust your perspective is remember past miracle moments. How do you make sure your perspective stays right? Remember past miracle moments. There's nothing quite as, quite as great for your perspective as looking back on a good memory, memories of God's goodness to you in the past. Here's our problem, dear ones. Our problem is we have a tendency to remember things we should forget and forget things we should remember. Don't we, Okay. We, we, we go back and we, we, we ruminate, we think about things that are painful things of the past that we really should let go of and put behind us, but then when it comes to the good stuff that has happened to us, we don't remember that, okay? We've got to turn that around. We've got to forget the things we need to forget and remember the things we need to remember. And I'm here to remind you today, there's some good things that God has done in your life. You're the object of God's blessing. And some, somewhere and points along your life journey, God has done some incredible things for you. When was the last time you thought about them? When was the last time you reflected on all the good things God has done for you? Anybody glad today that you've been saved by the blood of the Lamb? You're going to heaven when you die. That's great. I'm thankful for the day that I met Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life. I'm thankful for the day that he filled me up with his Holy Spirit. I'm thankful for him giving me his word. I'm thankful for his intervention in my life when I was about to mess some things up. And he stepped in when, he, when I didn't even know how he was going to step in. And he did stuff for me. I'm thankful even for some of the prayers I prayed that he didn't answer. Okay? Because I would have messed my life up if I'd had the answer that I prayed for. I'm glad for how God has been at work in my life. And just as God has been at work in my life, he's been at work in your life as well. When was the last time you remembered it? 
When was the last time you thought about it? When was the last time you took the responsibility of saying, I'm going to take a look at the good things God has done for me? Listen to the psalmist here in Psalm 77, verses 7 through 12. I want you to hear this heart cry of the psalmist and this transformation that occurs in his life. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Anybody crying yet? Okay. Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And I said, this is my fate. The most high has turned his hand against me. I'm going to eat some worms. This is bad. Are you seeing the negative right here? Come on, are you with me? Right now, he's not in a good place, is he? Oh, come on, you're not with me this morning. Help me out here. I'm going to read it again just because you weren't with me, okay? That's your punishment. You have to listen to it again. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. But then, I love verse 11. But then, in the midst of all this, he says, but then I recall all you have done, O Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Okay. He said, in the midst of this incredible pity party I'm having right now, I'm going to mess it up by recalling what you've done for me. I'm going to chase the pouting out of my life. I'm going to replace it with praise. I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. As I've adjusted my perspective, okay? They're in my thoughts now. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty work. So the psalmist said, here's my turnaround moment, my turnaround moment from the time that I was down in the dumps, wondering if God had totally forgotten me, wondering if he'd shut his compassion off to me. The thing that changed everything for me is I started recalling, I started remembering all that God had done, the deeds of long ago. When I started counting them and thinking about them, everything changed in my life. And I want to encourage all of you this week to have a look-back week, to take this next week. It's Thanksgiving week. And by the way, Thanksgiving for believers shouldn't be one day a year. It ought to be every day of our lives. But we do have a national holiday this week. Thank God for a country that celebrates Thanksgiving, an opportunity to thank God. And I hope you'll use that day to, to express your thanksgiving to God. Be here on Wednesday evening for our Thanksgiving service as a part of celebrating that together as a, as a church family. But I want to encourage you personally this week to get out a notebook somewhere, a piece of paper, and write down, God, I'm thankful for. I look back on my life and I recount, I recall all you have done. And I promise you it will be a great adjustment to your perspective. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for speaking to us today. I pray that in Jesus' name that, Lord, your word would settle deeply in our hearts. We want to think the right way. Renew our minds, we pray. Adjust our viewfinders, God. Help us to have a godly perspective for your glory and for your honor. We ask it in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. 
know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. And we'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.